bringing you the latest in tax credit news. This is Tax Credit Tuesday with your host, Michael Novogratik. The legislative challenges have been significant. We very much need the legislation. we got to produce housing. We're still in a very volatile industry. It's a challenging atmosphere for almost anyone. We can't get all these mixed signals and messages. If he doesn't have a bipartisan bill, nothing's going to happen. Alternative energy is still very expensive. Hello, I'm Michael Novogratik, and this is Tax Credit Tuesday. Today is Tuesday, January 25, 2011. This week, I start off in Miami, Florida, at the Affordable Housing Tax Credit Coalition's board meeting and annual conference. From here, I'm going to travel to San Diego, California, where Novogratz and Company is hosting its New Market Tax Credit Conference. As of the time of this recording, more than 485 community development professionals were scheduled to join us. There's still space for more, so hopefully I'll see you there. In this week's podcast, I'll start with a few brief comments on tax reform. Then, I'll discuss legislation that Senate Finance Committee Chairman Max Baucus and Senator Chuck Grassley planned to introduce that would prohibit, yes prohibit, the patenting of tax planning strategies. Then, I'm going to review the IRS's work plan for taxes and bond issues. I'll also discuss several state-level issues related to affordable housing, including the budget proposal in California that would eliminate redevelopment agencies as well as a number of bills related to low-income housing tax credits that have been introduced in various states recently. For our renewable energy discussion, I'll share an announcement from the Department of Energy regarding a new program designed to promote clean energy in tribal communities. I'll also touch base on renewable energy legislation introduced in Oregon, as well as Nebraska. Then, turning to new market tax credits, I'll update listeners on the latest tally of certified CDEs and I'll take a quick look at the City of Fund's annual performance report, and I'll summarize a bill introduced in Oregon that would create a state new market tax credit. And finally, in this week's Historic Tax Credit segment, I'll share information regarding nominations for the National Trust for Historic Preservation's annual awards. Also, tonight, the President will give his State of the Union address. We're going to cover this in next week's podcast. So if you're ready, let's get started. Starting with tax reform, I believe tax reform is probably the biggest threat to the various government programs that we discuss on this podcast. Last week, the House Ways and Means Committee kicked off the year by holding its first hearing on tax reform. As expected, all the witnesses at the hearing expressed strong support for reforming the Internal Revenue Code. Now, this hearing was the opening salvo, but after the hearing, all eyes in D.C. and throughout the nation quickly turned to the President's State of the Union Address, which, as I mentioned earlier, is tonight, and we'll discuss in more detail next week. Now, most believe that the tax reform goals that are included in President Obama's speech, if any, which we do expect there will be some, that those goals included in the State of the Union tonight will greatly affect the tone of the debate. So we'll have more on the State of the Union and the impact on tax reform next week. In general tax credit news... On January 20th, Senate Finance Committee Chairman Max Baucus and Senator Chuck Grassley released proposed legislation that they intend to introduce in the Senate that they say protects taxpayers and fights tax evasion. The bill, more specifically, would prevent any individual or firm from being able to receive patents on tax strategies. The senators say if firms or individuals were able to hold patents for those strategies, then some taxpayers would face 
fees simply for complying with the tax code. They also contend that tax patents would provide windfalls to lawyers and patent holders by granting them exclusive rights to use tax loopholes, loopholes which could provide some businesses with unfair advantages. Now, in recent years, the issue of tax patents has been getting more and more attention. Tax practitioners have been developing tax strategies, and they've been seeking tax patents from the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office. Owners of these patents, in turn, expect to be compensated for the use by others of the tax strategies covered by their patents. Many trade organizations, including the American Institute of Certified Public Accountants, oppose the patenting of tax strategies. Now, the bill drafted by Senators Baucus and Grassley expressly provides that a strategy for reducing, avoiding, or deferring tax liability cannot be considered a new or non-obvious idea, and therefore, a patent on a tax strategy could not be obtained. The Senators said their proposed bill works to make tax compliance fair for all taxpayers. The U.S. Treasury Department and the IRS have also expressed concerns about patent protection for tax planning methods and they've issued proposed regulations that added patented transactions as a new category of reportable transactions. Now, the issue of tax patents has been a hot topic that we've been tracking for several years. The IRS regulations on patented tax strategies, as well as a copy of the Senate bill, can be found online at www.novaco.com. Simply click on the Hot Topics button and select the link for tax patent legislation. You'll see a lot of the history of the patenting of tax strategies and some of the legislative and administrative efforts to peel back those efforts. Turning to low-income housing tax credit news, on January 15th, the IRS posted the work plan for its tax exempt bond team. The plan provides program guidance and direction to all IRS taxes of bond employees. The plan says that during fiscal year 2011, the IRS expects to complete projects related to the following areas, current refunding bonds, governmental lease financings, and what's probably of most priority to a lot of our listeners, multifamily housing bonds, pool financings, and tax revenue anticipation notes. The plan also discusses a volume cap research project that the IRS tax and bond team initiated in fiscal year 2010. The IRS says that in fiscal year 2011, This team intends to survey the states with respect to their volume cap management practices. The plan also contains good news for issuers of housing bonds. The plan announced that housing bonds, which may be issued to finance single-family homes or multifamily rental housing projects, have been determined to have only a medium risk of noncompliance. According to the document, a prior examination initiative related to multifamily housing bonds reflected a lower risk segment than was expected. Therefore, their risk level has been reduced to medium. A copy of the Tax and Bond Work Plan for 2011 can be found online at www.taxredhousing.com in our bonds section. Turning to California, earlier this month, Governor Jerry Brown submitted his proposed budget for 2011-2012. The budget was submitted to the California legislature. The proposed budget would make significant changes to economic development activities in California, including eliminating redevelopment agencies by July 1st. Specifically, and this is according to Housing California, 
The proposal would immediately eliminate the current redevelopment agencies as of July 1, 2011, and it would require that successor agencies use $2.2 billion of the funds held by these agencies to retire redevelopment agencies' debts and contractual obligations in accordance with existing payment schedules. According to Housing California, the State Department of Finance estimates about $3 billion would remain. And of this $3 billion, one-time payments estimated at $1.1 billion would be provided, and these amounts are equal to the pass-through payments to local governments for services that they usually receive from redevelopment funds. That would leave $1.9 billion, and the governor's budget would direct $1.7 of that as a one-time basis to offset state general fund costs for Medi-Cal and trial courts. With $210 million left, that would be distributed on a one-time basis to cities, counties, and special districts, proportionate to their share of the countywide property tax. Then, beginning in 2012 and 2013, the amounts remaining after payment of pre-existing redevelopment debts and contractual obligations, these amounts would be distributed to cities, counties, non-enterprise special districts, and K-14 schools in amounts proportionate to their share of the countywide property tax base. The governor's budget estimates that this would result in approximately $1 billion in additional funding for K-14 to schools, $290 million more for counties, $490 million more for cities, and $100 million for non-enterprise special districts. Now, in addition to this proposal, the redevelopment fund balances designated for low- and moderate-income housing would be shifted immediately to local housing authorities for the purpose of serving low- and moderate-income families. Now, the governor's budget also proposes that the voters approve a constitutional amendment that would reduce to a 55% level the the amount of voter approval needed for limited tax increases and bonding against local revenue to fund projects like those that are currently done with redevelopment funds. Now, redevelopment agencies, which isn't much of a surprise, across the state reacted almost immediately to the above proposals, and they took a variety of actions. The LA Times reported that officials in Long Beach, Pasadena, Palm Springs, and numerous other cities called special meetings to discuss transferring billions of dollars from their redevelopment agencies to city control to protect them from the proposed change. Similarly, the Riverside County Board of Supervisors held a special meeting last week where they approved the issuance of $155 million in bonds. Clearly, this proposal is relevant to supporters of affordable housing in California, but it also has relevance to listeners in other states. The budget pressures that motivated this proposal are not limited to just California. As our listeners know, a number of states are facing deficits and serious fiscal challenges await state lawmakers in their 2011 legislative sessions. For instance, according to the National Conference of State Legislatures, diminishing federal stimulus funds, slow revenue growth, and spending pressures have opened new budget gaps of nearly $27 billion this fiscal year, and cumulatively a gap of over $82 billion for fiscal year 2012. Turning to legislation in Missouri, one example of a state where budget concerns could potentially affect affordable housing is Missouri. There, State Senator Jason Crowell again has introduced legislation that would severely limit tax credits. 
In previous criticism of Missouri's tax credit program, Senator Crowell has expressed concerns about their impact on state revenues and their return on investment. Last week, Senator Crowell introduced four bills, including SB 141, which would prohibit anyone who's made a campaign contribution in the past two years from applying for state tax credits. The bill would also prohibit tax credit recipients from making campaign contributions for two years after they receive the state tax credits. Now, violation of the campaign contribution restrictions would result in recapture of the state tax credits. The Act, if it were to pass, would apply to more than two dozen existing state tax credit programs, including the State Historic Tax Credit, Low Income Housing Tax Credit, New Markets Tax Credit, Distressed Areas of Land Assemblage Tax Credit, and Brownfield Redevelopment Tax Credits. Crowell also introduced SB 139, which would subject all state tax credits to appropriation. He also introduced SB 142, which would remove statewide elected officials from the Missouri Development Finance Board and the Missouri Housing Development Commission, and SB 144, which would place a one-year moratorium on the issuance of low-income housing and Missouri Development Finance Board Infrastructure Development Fund contribution tax credits. If passed, all the bills would have an effective date of August 28, 2011. That's with the exception of SB 144, which would provide this one-year moratorium on low-income housing and development finance board infrastructure tax credits. That effective date would be as soon as it was passed. And then turning to other states, Novograd and Company has posted a number of bills from other states that may be of interest to the low-income housing tax credit community. For instance, Oregon House Bill 2153 would establish a state affordable housing trust fund to continuously appropriate money to the Housing and Community Services Department, as well as create a state tax credit to incentivize contributions to the fund. Then in Texas, Senator Jose Menendez introduced HB 309, and that's a bill that would set aside a portion of the state's federal low-income housing tax credit to help fund a pilot program for supportive living facilities. HB 309 calls for the Department of Housing and Community Affairs to reserve at least 5% of its annual allocation for projects developed under the pilot program. In Mississippi, Senator John Horn has introduced SB 2133 to create a state affordable housing trust fund to be administered by the Mississippi Development Authority. Also in Mississippi, Representative John Hines introduced a bill to make a few alterations to the MDA's administration of low-income housing tax credits, home funds, and HUD Section 8 housing choice vouchers. One of HB 427's provisions would require verifiable energy efficiency and energy testing on all low-income housing tax credit properties. It also calls for the creation of a task force to help identify incentives to increase the use of Section 8 vouchers. And lastly, New York Senator Catherine Young has introduced a bill to expand the state's low-income housing tax credit program eligibility to include smaller residences ranging from one to four units. In Renewable Energy Tax Credit News, last week, U.S. Energy Secretary Stephen Chu announced new initiatives to promote tribal energy development and continue strengthening the partnership between the Department of Energy and tribal nations. Up to $10 million will be available this year through the Tribal Energy Program. Indian tribes, tribal energy resource development organizations, and tribal consortia on whose lands the projects will be located are eligible to apply for the available funding. 
the funds will support three project areas. The first one being first steps and capacity building, the second being energy efficiency development and deployment, and the third, renewable energy development and deployment. Up to $1.5 million is expected to support those projects that are focused on capacity building and strategic planning. And this can include energy resource and infrastructure analyses, the development of an energy organization, as well as training programs. Now, the energy efficiency and renewable energy deployment initiatives are each expected to receive up to about $4 million to study the technical and economic feasibility of future energy efficiency improvements or on or renewable energy projects. It should be noted that this funding is subject to continuing congressional appropriations. Now, Secretary Chu also announced that, her, that the department's tribal summit with American Indian and Alaska Native leaders will be held on May 5, 2011, in Washington, D.C. The department's new Office of Indian Energy Policy and Programs will work closely with the Office of Congressional and Intergovernmental Affairs in reaching out to tribal leaders as they design this tribal summit, as I mentioned, is scheduled to be held on May 5, 2011. In our state legislative roundup, last week, the Renewable Energy Tax Credit Resource Center's website was updated with state legislation relevant to the energy tax credit community. These updates included, in Oregon, HB 2818, which would modify regulations regarding the state business energy tax credit, and then in Nebraska, they may consider changes to their renewable energy tax credit. Senator Ken Har introduced LB 359, and it would redefine qualified projects as renewable electric generation facilities as opposed to zero emission facilities. In new market tax credit news, last week the City of Fife updated its monthly reports listing certified community development entities or CDEs. As of December 31st, 2010, there are now 4,628 certified CDEs. Now, in order to be certified as a CDE, an organization must be legally established, have a primary mission of serving low-income communities or low-income people, and maintain accountability to residents of the low-income communities that it serves. CDEs remain certified for the life of the organization as long as they continue to meet the primary mission and the accountability requirements. The updated reports listing certified CDEs can be found online at www.newmarketscredits.com. If you have any questions about how to become certified as a CDE and some of the benefits of being certified, please send an email to cpas at novaco.com. Also, on Tuesday, January 18th, the CDFI Fund announced the release of its fiscal year 2010 performance and accountability report. This is an important annual publication that comprehensively assesses the operations of the CDFI Fund. This year's report documents the many successful achievements the CDFI Fund realized in its 15th anniversary year. For example, in fiscal year 2010, the CDFI Fund announced new funding under the Community Development Capital Initiative and the Capital Magnet Fund. It also launched the new Capacity Building Initiative, it certified or recertified approximately 200 entities as CDFIs. This increases the total number of certified CDFIs by more than 
You can find a copy of this report online at www.cdfifund.gov. It has some very interesting facts and figures that encourage you to take a glance at the report. Now turning to state legislation, last week the New Market Tax Credit Resource website was updated with state legislation relevant to the New Market Tax Credit community. Included in the updates was one related to Oregon. Senator David Nelson has introduced Senate Bill 193 that would create a state new market program. It's a measure that the legislature has considered in previous sessions, and we're a little bit more hopeful this session. A copy of that bill can be found online at www.newmarketscredits.com. We now turn to historic tax credit news. Last week, the National Trust for Historic Preservation announced that the nomination process for its 2011 National Preservation Awards is now open. Each year, the National Trust for Historic Preservation prevents awards to individuals and organizations whose contributions demonstrate excellence in historic preservation. The industry is invited to nominate a deserving individual, organization, agency, or project. So if you have any ideas, I'd encourage you to submit them. Now, there are several categories, including a Trustees Award, National Trust Advisor Council on Historic Preservation Award, the National Trust HUD Secretaries Award, the Peter H. Brink Award for Individual Achievement, and the National Preservation Honor Awards. The nomination form as well as the various eligibility requirements and award descriptions, can be found online at www.nthp.org. Now, the deadline for all award nominations is just a few short weeks away, February 17, 2011. That's right, the deadline for nominations is February 17, 2011. The National Preservation Award recipients will be notified no later than August 1, 2011, and the nominator will be notified for those not selected. Award announcements themselves and a presentation are made at a ceremony during the National Preservation Conference, which means that the 2011 ceremony will be on Thursday, October 20, 2011, and will be held in Buffalo, New York. Questions about the awards can be directed by email to awards at nthp.org or by phone to 202-588-6315. Well, that brings me to the end of this week's report. Please join me again next week for another edition of Tax Credit Tuesday. Topics next week will include President Obama's State of the Union address and the impact it's expected to have on the affordable housing, community development, historic preservation, and renewable energy communities. We also may start seeing some early releases of details of parts of the President's budget. This is Michael Novogratik, and I'll be back next Tuesday. Thanks for listening.